This episode of the Blackstick Global Podcast is sponsored by Blackstick Global Passport. Join aspiring Black expats, expats, and repats, where you can build community, get resources, and gain support along your journey abroad. You're invited to join Blackstick Global Passport. Inside Passport, you'll find exclusive workshops on everything from expat taxes, financial planning, insurance, job boards, accountability check-ins, and more more. You can even take Passport on the go with our app available for iOS and Android devices. Just click the link in the episode you're listening to or visit blacksitglobal.com and click on Passport. See you inside. When you're negotiating moving abroad, you're not only negotiating who hires you in the company or the school that you're going to, you're also negotiating the country, the city, the location you're going to. And that's equally important. Close your eyes and imagine living a life you love, unapologetic and unbothered, free from daily microaggressions from Karens and Kens, free from the fear of police brutality and systemic racism. Wouldn't that feel amazing? Now open your eyes. What if I told you that it's possible? Hear inspiring stories and get the actual blueprints from brothers and sisters of the diaspora who are living out their wildest dreams abroad. You've heard the term, now be inspired by the movement. I'm Krishan Wright, and this is Blacksa Global. I am excited for this episode of the Blacksit Global podcast because I get to talk to an educator a lot of you, as you're considering your pathways abroad, are considering different career opportunities. Maybe you are an educator, want to figure out how to transfer your skills. My next guest is an expert at that. Adrienne Waller is from Detroit, and she is joining me today from, wait for it, the Cayman Islands, y'all. What? Oh my gosh, there's so much I want to ask, but... <laughs> Welcome to Black Sick Global, Adrian. Hey, hey, hey. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, I am so thrilled. I have so many questions, but it's also always good to ground everyone in your backstory. So if we could start a little bit at the beginning before you made your journey abroad, tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up in Detroit. So I'm from right outside of Detroit, and I actually lived abroad as a kid. So I have both Detroit experience and living in Germany experience. And it was great. I struggled to read. So I think that's part of things like that that drove me into education. I played sports. I had a bunch of friends. I'm planning our class reunion right now. So I'm really excited about it. So it was a great experience for me. I learned a lot. I grew a lot. Who I was when I first started school and who I was when I ended were probably slightly different people, but it was a great, amazing time. The winters were cold. I feel like winters are worse now than when I was a kid. And I don't know if as a kid, you just kind of like, cool snow. But now as an adult, I'm like, this stuff is dirty and wet and cold. And I feel the same way. I uh, grew up in the Bronx and then I went to upstate New York. My kids are choosing where they want to settle. They're picking cold states. And I'm like, there is no way. Maybe it's my skin getting thinner. I don't know, <laughs> but I can relate. So you were saying that you did some stints abroad, even as you were growing up in Germany. How was that for you, that first taste? Or do you feel like maybe you were a little too young to kind of understand the opportunity? 
No. So it's interesting. I firmly believe that once you're abroad in age where you can remember, it sticks with you. You know, it's kind of ingrained in you as like a thing. It, I think it's just knowing that the possibility that is there to see the world. I think there's something about exploring and going. And so I didn't know any better. Yeah, I didn't even know it was unique until I came back. You know, like, I mean, I knew it was unique because I was like, why are we going to Germany? Okay, mom, you say this is where we're going. We're going. So, but coming back, I realized it was like a very unique experience. I got to see the Eiffel Tower and go up it with my grandmother. You know, we went to castles. We went to, I remember seeing like the flowers in Amsterdam and then getting clogs and all of these different things like were great memories just about how diverse the world is, how unique the world is and how much there is to explore. So I definitely don't think I was too young. Um, I think it's part of why I was like, I could do it. My mama did it. I could do it, you know, so. When you made that decision, it helped me with the timeline a little bit here. So you finished school in the background. Did you always know that you were going to have this desire to move abroad? Or were you thinking more, hey, I'm going to be a teacher or an educator in the traditional sense and stay in the United States? So that's a great question. So when I was an undergrad, I did a research abroad. So I lived in South Africa for three months. So I think that kind of reignited it. So I was like five to seven. Then I did it again. At I turned 21 in South Africa. I remember that. And so then when I graduated from college, I actually wasn't studying education. I did AmeriCorps for a year and then I did Chicago teaching fellows. So I kind of came through into education through the back door. And so I just kind of was going to be an educator and worked seven years in Chicago public schools. I lost my father and then I decided to go back home. And so while I was home, I was working at a charter school and I was on the leadership team and we had this dinner. And at the dinner was a really long table and somebody at the other end of the table was talking about these educators who leave to go teach in different countries. I was just like, wait, you can do that? Uh, Mind you, I went to a school in a different country, did research with schools in different countries and it just never clicked. And so then I turned to the person next to me. I was like, you hear about these teachers who leave? She's like, yeah, I did it. And I was like, really? She's like, yeah, it was great. I actually met my husband while I was in Guatemala. And then we moved to the UAE. Oh, okay. I was like, really? She's like, yeah, it was great. We should talk about it one time. And so that kind of was really the start of it. Talked with her a lot. A month later, I was on, you know, a recruiting site. Then I started getting interviews. And next thing you know, a school from a country I'd never heard of reached out to me called Qatar. And I was like, Qatar? I was like, where is that? Is that, you know, in Dubai? It's its own country. It's not in Dubai at all. And so then I was like, I told all my family, I said, I'm moving to the Middle East. And everybody's like, wait, what? And that's kind of how that happened. It was never, it was not the plan at all. Oh my gosh, that just blows me away. So you go to this country, this opportunity comes about in a country you never heard of. Set me through, like, what was that experience like for you as an educator and then as a person who's like getting acclimated to all of the things? I will say it definitely was a shock. So I, I still remember, this is like a funny memory I love telling people is that they picked me up from the airport and, you know, they were helping me with my bags and they walked in front of me and I was following them. You know, you're kind of like stargazing, looking at all the stuff because Qatar has money. And so like everything is nice. The airports rank like the best airport in the world and Qatar Airways competes for number one airline in the world. So everything is like nice and glitzy. So I'm just kind of looking like, wow, I did it. And then we're approaching the exit door and 
everybody turns around and looks at me and I don't quite understand why. It's because you hit a wall of heat. It is like you hit, it is like, whoa. Like I remember like kind of sitting back like, whoa. Like you go from like, oh, wow, to like, oh, shock. So that was probably like my first distinct memory of Qatar was like, there's just an immense amount of heat because I'm landing in August in the middle of the desert. You know, it was hot. In terms of the schools, my school was kind of a ragtag school. So like, that's one thing that was really different for me is like learning that you can have kind of renegade schools in ways that you just don't in the United States, because to open a school, there are certain regulations and charters and government things that are involved in a way that even your worst school in the U.S. has certain systems and things in place legally. That may not be the case in the country that you go to. So it's really important. And one thing I work with clients on is like making sure they're picking a school that matches their needs. Because some people, that's great. Sometimes it's great to be at this school that doesn't have anything because you can be, be the person to bring it. For me, at first, when I got to the school, I was like, oh my goodness, God, why did you do this to me? Like, what, what did I do to the universe? Was I, was I really that bad of a teacher that this is where I ended up? Like, that was the feeling I had. But once I embraced it, I was able to get so much leadership, so much experience, build my resume and just excel and grow, take on leadership opportunities that I had. Had I been in one of your top tier schools, they would have had their people. They would have already been doing their thing, which is good for some people. It depends on where you are in your career and what you're looking for. But in hindsight, I'm actually very glad that I ended up where I did, even though it was not one of your best schools. So that was one thing that was really different about international education is that you can have all types of schools. The other thing is public schools, as we understand it in the U.S., don't function everywhere. So not every country actually has functioning public schools. And if they do, they may be a very small subset where most people are actually paying for some version of a private school. And so you'll have like tiers of schools. So you'll have like a top tier school, like a mid tier school, and then kind of like this like, mm what y'all do in school. And that was different. Also, charters aren't really a thing. So it's generally government or like a government slash public, private. And then there is a difference between private and international schools. And that's another thing that I wasn't really aware of. Depending on the country can actually function and have a different set of laws that govern them. If you're a private school versus an international school, it can also change in the type of packages that are offered to you, the type of insurance that you may end up with. So there are lots of differences, but the essence of school is school. Like kids come in, you teach a lesson, you hope they learn. Like those things are the same and kids are the same. You got a couple who gonna get on your nerves. It's just the reality. You have a couple who are stand-up students and you have a whole lot that are in the middle. Now in the Middle East, you sometimes will have an entitled set of students who that behavior is a little bit different. But if you worked in the hood, you worked in the ghetto, you can do that. You know what I mean? Like if you've worked with those communities to be honest, that type of behavior, you're like, it's fine, you know? So those are some of the key things. I will say parents are different in different countries. Now that is a bigger difference in students. Most people say, oh, how are the kids different? I'm like, kids are kind of kids. It's really the adults that are different. So when I was in China, we had a lot of helicopter parents, parents who wanted everything, wanted every all of their kids to be pushed, even if their kid could barely add. It was like, wait, we still need your child to know their sight words and you want them reading chapter books. 
nah, son, that doesn't compute. The Middle East is the opposite sometimes. It's like, oh, my kid did nothing. Aren't you going to give him an A? I'm this and I'm that. In both places, you have some type of privilege. So in the Middle East, it's called wasta. In China, it was called guanxi. So all of these are kind of like, particularly when you're working at private schools, which a lot of international teachers are, either private schools or international schools, and people are paying, sometimes things happen differently. Like in the public schools in the U.S., certain stuff, like, no, that's not happening. When your income are the people who you're supposed to also be regulating, sometimes that can be a little bit different. And lines can be blurred and gray. And that can also be difficult for people. So making sure you're at a school whose values align to your values, because that can be really difficult. And it may not be something that you consciously are thinking about in the United States right now. That's a great point that you touched on. A lot of times, and I'll just use employment on the broader spectrum, people might have a job, need to find a job, and they're like, oh, I can do this, right? And so they think more about the responsibilities and the duties, less about, is this a goodness of fit for me as well as it is for the employer? I've known and observed in my own career that that has changed when I was young. And of course, the first starting out and you're thirsty and all this other stuff. It's just like, oh, wow, yeah, I can do this and I excel. Now at this season of life and career, it's more about this is what I like. This is what I'm great at. This is what I'd like to stretch in different ways. And most importantly, this is what I'm looking for in an employer to make sure that I'm going to thrive and shine in my best if I'm in a great environment. I want to sit on this point because even when you make the decision to move abroad and take your talents and skills, yes, of course, you want to get out of whatever country your your home country is. However, Don't then think, oh, I just have to accept this and accept anything that's offered because you might get into a situation where it's less than what you expected and then maybe puts a a dark cloud or a dark shadow on what otherwise can be a great experience. And I think when you're looking internationally, and this is what I talk to clients about. So your point about that with job seekers, that's something I talk to clients who I work with in multiple industries, whether they staying in the U.S. or going abroad. That's something I talk to them about. And in my interview, like many series, one of them is interview the interviewer, because I think we forget that you have power and agency just because you get an offer doesn't mean you have to say yes. Sometimes. That's not what's best for you. And I think we forget that we have just as much power as a person on the other end. And I think having recruited talent and been on that end and gotten the no's and gotten the questions and gotten the negotiations, you start to realize it even more. So it's something I talk to clients about. The other thing is, I think that when you're negotiating moving abroad, you're not only negotiating who hires you in the company or the school that you're going to, you're also negotiating the country, the city, the location you're going to. And that's equally important. So I tell all of my clients, I say, you need to be at a minimum for both. Like you have to at least kind of like where you're going. Maybe you love one. You have to at least love one. Like, oh, I'm super, super excited about this school, this position, this opportunity. And the country's all right. The city that I'm in is all right. Or, man, this is a city of my dreams. I visited 15 times. I've been wanting to be here. I have a set of friends already. I'm excited about living here. Then the school's all right. Now, 
if you can get the pairing of both where you love where you live and you love the place, great. But I can tell you from being on the end of seeing teachers not stay at schools, if both aren't at a minimum, you're going to end up leaving and you're going to end up being unhappy. You may even end up regretting the decision. So it's really important that you've thought about both. That's so important. So you talked about the clients that you work with. I do want to spend some time here. You've been abroad in different roles in different countries. And so when did you make the pivot from being primarily an educator to then putting on the hat of being an educator and an entrepreneur to open the door and create pathways and opportunities and coaching, et cetera, for people who were like you? So that's actually just about a year ago. And a lot of it was I made a bad decision and I ended up leaving a school way earlier than I had anticipated because I didn't know things I should be. So I'm saying that advice, speaking to previous Adrian, you know, I ended up going to a country where I didn't like the country and I didn't really like the school. So I was failing on both. So that wasn't going to win anyways, you know. I realized like I needed guidance. I had gone through it. I had worked at, you know, a school for a few years. I had um, elevated. I had gotten into all these different things. I had quit a job, lost a job. I had now experienced being at a great school, being at a terrible school, being at things in between. I had all this knowledge and people kept coming to me, asking me about this and asking me about that. And I was just giving the information away of which I still do. I'm on Clubhouse every Sunday, giving away information. I've done a host of IG lives and have tons of content on my Instagram. But I also knew that people needed individual time to sit with me and to go through things and For me to be able to support them, I needed to put it into a business and not just into this haphazard way of doing things. And I'm still learning it, right? I didn't anticipate being a business owner. I did it because I was like, I have something to offer the world that I think would benefit people and kind of just went with it. I'm still trying to figure it out. So as you're figuring it out, you're helping clients with identifying, you know, opportunities. You talked a little bit about like some of the prep work in terms of interviewing, interview readiness and things like that. Is that some of the key areas of services that you provide? So there's a few things. So there's the trying to find the job type of thing. So What recruiting sites do you use? What makes sense? What recruiting sites match with you? Because one thing people think is like, oh, I can just use any recruiter. And I'm like, no, no, you should not just use any recruiter. You should pick recruiters that are going to match your needs. Certain recruiters only work with certain types of candidates. So if you're not a certified teacher, there's a few agencies I would tell you aren't going to be a good use of your time. If you are certified but don't have IB experience, there's a few different places you might want to go. If you're certified, but you want to go to the Middle East, opposed to going to Asia or Asia opposed to the Middle East, all of these things are part of how you even decide where you put your resume, where you invest your time. Once you kind of pick one, what happens is your references kind of stay with you. So if I get a job now and I stay in my job, finish my contract, and I'm ready to look again for a new position two, three, four years later, I don't have to re-reach out to those references because they're already within my recruiting site that I use. So I can use that same recruiting site. So you do need to be intentional about selecting because you don't want to ask your references to fill out eight different reference checks. That's a lot. So you have to be mindful of that. Now, you may be on some where you can put your profile up, but they don't need your reference. So there's that, that all of that understanding recruiters, how they work, 
your resume, interview prep, how to navigate a job fair, both in person and online, because those are different skills. But then once you start getting your contracts, how do you look at that and use that as a way to learn about your school? What type of school is this? Is this a contract that's competitive? What's missing? Where should you negotiate? What can you negotiate? You can negotiate all types of things. I know somebody who negotiated their mother to get a plane ticket to come over when they came. I think people always think very tangible of just salary. I've seen people negotiate time off. So there's all these other things that have value to you that you may want. It may be professional development. Like I said, time off to kind of work on some of the things you want to work on. Opportunities to shadow and to advance careers taking classes, like all of these things are things you can also negotiate. And yes, negotiating your salary is good. But sometimes if you think beyond that, you can think about things that will really advance your career long term and not just be money, you know, things mm-hmm. that are really going to nurture into what's next for you could be really important. At some point, some people may need even help with like, well, as a black person, because your school and even some recruiting agencies will help you with the like transition but they're helping everybody with the transition. Our transition may not always look the same. And so thinking through what groups are going to be good for you, what are things that are going to help you start to build a network even before you arrive so that you're one of those people who has somebody taking to the, them to the grocery store the first week they're there. Like, how do you navigate that? So kind of that beginning to end process, I help you with, you know, What questions might a school ask? Doing mock interviews. So all of those different things from, I think I might want to do this. And even I've even helped people pick what are countries that would suit what your goals are. Because there are different areas and regions that if you tell me certain things, I'll say, oh, well, you probably want to look in this area. Now, this is a general thing. Like you may be able to find unicorns in different places, right? But overall, if you're looking for like mental health, balance and you want shorter workouts, I might tell you to go here. If you're like, my coin is what matters the most, I might tell you to go here. If you're saying that, you know, being able to travel and visit is really important, I may tell you to go here. So all of those things impact. And so sometimes it's just helping people kind of narrow down this idea of seeing the world to where do I concentrate my efforts? Great, great, great advice. And I highly recommend that anyone who is considering taking their talents and skills and positioning them in other countries, definitely, definitely tie into Adrian. I will put all of her details in the show notes for this episode. So I want to talk a little bit about, you know, the Caymans, because, you know, there are people who are like, wait a minute, you could actually teach in the islands, like you can teach in the Caribbean, like, what is this? So for you, you've been there a, a little bit. So tell me about like how that opportunity came to be. And then what's it actually been like for you? So I say that this opportunity was the universe like responding. And so literally when I lost my job in China, I told two people, I said, I wouldn't mind working in the Cayman Islands. And both of them were like, Adrian, where do you get these ideas from? Like, are there even schools there? And I was like, well, there's people there. There's got to be schools, right? You know, like, and they're like, "Uh, okay. And that was the end of it. I had two very brief conversations. I also had been putting into the atmosphere, my next position, I really wanted to be an assistant principal, just putting it out there. But I wasn't actively actually looking. I didn't realize my profile was still up with my nice, beautiful resume with all my work. It was still up on a site. So I got a random email who was like, hey, 
We have a position for assistant principal. Would you be interested in coming to the Cayman Islands? Uh, yeah, why not? At that point, I was really more like U.S. bound. Like, th- I'm done with this international stuff, this COVID. It was just a lot. And I was like, I, I don't, I just want to be home. I talked to a couple of friends. They're like, just take the interview. And I said, okay, well, they're not going to hire me anyways. Like, that's like a really good school. Four interview, four or five interviews later, I'm getting the offer. And I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> And so that's really how I got here was having my resume up, having it polished, having a good set of experiences. And then somebody reached out. I do interview well, which is why mock interviews are my favorite thing to do, because I think anybody can do an interview well, but most people don't. <laughs> so I help people across industries, even people who aren't going abroad with that, because I think it's super important. Talk about putting something out into the universe and having the universe say, yes, here it is. <laughs> That is so amazing. So what's it like being now in, you know, the role that you wanted in the destination that you spoke out into the universe? Take me through maybe like either a day in the life when you're working or even a day in the life when you're not working. Like what is that experience in being in an island? A day in the life working is what I gather it's like anywhere. So I won't spend a lot of time outside of the fact my school is super well resourced. We have a swimming pool. If you need supplies, they get them. We have state of the art. Like I work out in the gym at the school. I take showers at the gym at the school because it's clean. It's done well. So like you, you walk through and it, it's beautiful. It really is. It, it's beautiful. There's courtyards and outdoor spaces. It, it's amazing. But the like day-to-day job, you have the same headaches, you have the same, you know, like type of things you're working on. So that you you think of what an assistant principal does, you know, down the street from you. And I'm probably doing things that are really similar, student behavior, teacher absences, things like that. But what is unique is what evenings and weekends look like. So it's not uncommon to say, hey, I'm just going to go by the beach. Because no matter where you are, I think they say you're no more than five minutes from a beach driving, no matter where you are on the island. That's amazing. Year round, it's warm enough to be at the beach. I've started snorkeling. Never thought I would be a snorkeler. Never thought I would be interested in snorkeling. Not only did I get into snorkeling, but I got prescription goggles just so that I could see while I was snorkeling. And then I didn't stop there. I was like, oh, these fins, these hand-me-down fins, these aren't good enough. I've purchased fins. So yeah, like I really got into it and it's a great joy. I really, really enjoy snorkeling and you can see amazing things without really going far. Like, you know, just kind of swimming offshore, which is really exciting. I joined a flag football league. And so that was a lot of fun. It was a co-ed football league. So I did that. My um, team actually won a championship. So, you know. All right. All right. All right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I go out. uh, I did carnival. And so you know, did all of that, was in a band, did that. So I've been really trying to take advantage of what the island has to offer. I'm going to, this weekend, actually, they do some car racing. So I'm going to try and check out car racing. I bought a bicycle. So today I actually rode my bicycle to work. So when I first got on, I was um, telling you, like, I was like, oh, I'm a little tired, you know, because I just got off the bike. But how many places can you just ride to work and, you know, do that? So there's tons of, like, I know people who learn to surf. I did stand up paddle boarding. You can do kayaking. I went and they have this thing called bioluminescence. So I try to save touristy things for when people come to visit, go to Starfish Point, go to Stingray City. There's so much 
to do. People say it gets old, but I've actually really found a good balance of trying to do the things that are like one-off events and things like that and pairing that with also doing some of the local things. But I really try to only do touristy things when my friends come. So a set of girls we went and also did ATVs. So like it's it's a lot or you could just sit on, sometimes I just sit on my balcony because I can. So how long do you think you'll be calling the Caymans home? Do you feel like this is where you want to be for a while? Or do you also have like an eye to where either a country that is on your list or another employment opportunity that you'd like to achieve? Like, how does that look for you? So I definitely will be here a while, no less than three to four years. I don't see it any less than that. Somebody scoop me up. I'll stay here longer. <laughs> I'm still single. So who knows about that? Not I'm not foreseeing that. I'm not speaking. I'm not saying any of that. I will speak that into existence. Maybe that maybe God will answer that one. I feel like I've been doing that for a while, though. So and after here, if you know, nothing like that works out. I really would like to find a job on the continent of Africa. Now, I don't know where. I don't have a country as of yet. Africa as a continent doesn't have nearly the amount or the volume of like international schools as you would see in like Southeast Asia or the Middle East. So part of why I say it like that is because I know that I I may not want to be country specific. I may want to be country agnostic so that I keep my options open. I know I'm going to be looking for advanced leadership positions. So fewer schools, there's even fewer, you know, administrative positions. I know I'll be highly competitive so that I'm not worried about, but it's just, are there even positions out there that match what I also want? So that's my dream is to at some point start looking and be able to say that I did this education journey on the continent. Cause as I look back, I was like, wait, I've been in Asia. I've been here. I've been there. Like, why have I not been there? And so that's really something that's super important to me that I want to spend some time, specifically sub-Saharan Africa, but I would do Northern Africa. But I feel like that would maybe be more similar to what I did in the Middle East. So I kind of really want to do sub-Saharan. I have a few countries in mind, but the continent as a whole, I'm really trying to embrace and think about where would be a great place for me to land next. Oh my gosh, I love it. And since words have power, and we've already heard (laughs) the extent by which when you put something out into the universe, how the universe answers back and says yes, I have no doubt that the continent will be there and the perfect job opportunity will materialize for you. So Adrian, for somebody who is listening to this episode, who's an educator, who's thinking about teaching or other educational opportunities for themselves abroad, how best to loop in to you? So the best way is probably Instagram. Um, I have a lot of content there. So it's a great place to kind of start to do some learning. You could also go to my website and book some time with me. I have free consultations so that we could just have a free call. You'll do a survey to tell me some information about you so we can best utilize that time. I'm trying to get better with LinkedIn. So I'm there too. And I have a few YouTube videos. So I'm kind of across the platforms. Facebook has some information as well. But the number one way would definitely be Instagram or booking time on my calendar, which you can find links to from my website. 
I know like I have been captivated by your story and I'm sure that everyone that's listening to this episode is jotting down notes because like you said, a lot of what you were talking about in terms of negotiation, mock interview prep and all of those things are transferable. So someone is listening to this episode and they're not an educator, but they do recognize that they need or could benefit from additional work, coaching, prep in this area, please take this opportunity to go to the show notes of this episode, loop in with Adrienne, and she can help you develop what you need so that you can put your best foot forward and have that confidence for that perfect right opportunity. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure, Adrienne, having you as a guest on the Blacks of Global podcast. I am excited to see how this journey unfolds for you the bike rides, the snorkeling. I mean, for those people that are thinking about if island living is right for me, I mean, look, I'm I'm convinced. <laughs> I'm convinced. I love it. It's great. It's it's been a great decision. I even have healthy meal plans that get dropped off to work now. So it's been like a kind of reset for me. Like I was in a kind of dark place before I Mm. came. And so I needed this. I needed this like reset, uh, recharge and kind of going back out into the world again. Like I, I really needed it. And it's been great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Blacksley Global Podcast. For more information on today's episode, be sure to visit our website at blacksleyglobal.com. It's not only possible to live out your dreams unbothered and in full color, it is your birthright. Are you trying to sort out health plans, banking, VPN, and other connectivity for your move abroad? Well, have no fear. We've got you with the Move Abroad Starter Kit. Get yours today at blacksitglobal.com resources. That's blacksitglobal.com resources.